You're listening to Japanese Baptist Church in Seattle, Washington. So, first sermon of the year. Usually there is a pressure on the pastor to give some kind of inspiring words to help us change, uh, to give us some kind of uh, inspiration or motivation to help us with our New Year's resolutions that we have all started racking up at this moment. I don't know if you have a list of all the things that you want to change. So when I was thinking about this idea of change, I thought this would be a great time to talk about grace again. Last week I talked about how grace is at work in our life even before we are searching for God. And today I want to talk about grace again through the story of our lives. Uh, if some of you remember what I preached about last week, I talked about how every good story has a beginning, middle, and end. And you don't really understand the whole story uh, unless you understand all the parts and you see the story all the way through. And the same um, can be said with the journey of grace in our lives. You don't really fully understand the impact and the power of grace unless you see how it has been moving in your life uh, from the beginning to your present and into your future. And every journey of grace in every single person's life is uniquely written. There is no one set formula for everyone's journey. And the challenge is for you to not give in to the pressure of comparing your story with another person, but to recognize that God is at work in your life. It may just look and seem different than others, but grace is powerfully present and active in your life. And the next part of the grace story that I want to talk about is what uh, John Wesley would talk about as justifying grace. And this is something that all... Um, Christian traditions talk about these, these stages of grace. And this one is the central one that many people want to focus on about this justifying grace. And what this stage is about is a place where we receive grace from God to be forgiven, to be accepted and loved, and to be transformed. This is the most pivotal, perhaps, that people like to talk about. This is where we were living in one way, and when we encounter justifying grace, through its forgiveness and its mercy, we go another way. This grace is possible because of what Jesus did on the cross. We were living a way uh, in our lives that the consequences were death. But Christ, out of compassion and goodness and mercy, decided to take that consequence upon his own life and died upon the cross. And all the powers that separated us from loving God and loving neighbor were ended in that moment when Jesus Christ died on the cross. So the thing that really um, makes justifying grace possible is that we have to go through um, a process of change. The biblical word is repentance. Now, I know when people hear the word repentance, they're like, ah, oh, that sounds very heavy. It sounds like God is mad at us and God wants us to feel bad. But the real understanding of repentance is not about shaming. The real understanding of repentance is about change. It's about a changed life. And so I wanted to read the conversion of Paul for the scripture reading today to really help us to understand that. And I want us to think about, as we begin this new year, if we really want to bring about change, what does change look like? according to the Bible. 
I've given you kind of like some theological background right now, but we're going to try and walk through that and understand how Paul's change, every Christian's change, relates to our lives today. And so when we look at the life of Paul, the first thing that we see in this story is that God convicts us and reveals that our lives need to turn to God. Romans 2.4 talks about it is God's kindness that leads you to repentance. And then further, Paul talks about this understanding of change. It's not about God wants you to recognize how bad you are and feel bad about it all the time. A real sign of conviction leads to change, not shame and regret. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 and 11 says this really well. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. You see, Paul was talking about the real change is not just about feeling bad. It's not just about saying sorry. I know sometimes for myself, it's just easier to say sorry than to really think about the long, difficult journey of what change will require. And it's hard. But the thing is, repentance and conviction is not about simply feeling, not stop feeling bad. It's about changing your life. Paul says that we can be sorrow and regretful, but that only leads to death. That doesn't do anything. Godly repentance, what does it do? Godly sorrow, what does godly sorrow do? It actually brings about a change in people's lives. When we come to that place where we recognize that we need to change, that we want to change, this is when we begin a new life. Which leads to the next thing that we see in Paul. That the consequence and guilt of the past is erased when we ask for forgiveness. 1 John uh, 1, 8, 9 tells us that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Romans 3, verse 21, 24 goes further to talk about, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You see, here's the thing that people kind of mistake about this change thing. When we say change, we're wondering like, well, that means God, okay, so if repentance is about feeling bad and you know it's about change, then I think God's not gonna receive me until I fully change. But here is the strange thing about the gospel, is that God forgives before anything has happened. I don't know if any of you recall but uh, in the story, but Paul was blinded on the road to Damascus. And so 
Now the priest, the priest Ananias was told to, to meet Paul. But here's an interesting thing. Paul hadn't actually done anything. He was just staying put for three days because he was blind. But here's the first thing that the priest says unto Paul. He says, Brother Saul. You see, before Paul didn't even did anything, he was received as a brother. There are definitely things in our lives when we come to God, we definitely want to say, we'll change, we feel bad about. But to be clear, we are works in progress. We are still broken. But it's not that God is saying, okay, well, you clean up your act and then you can come close. What is required is that we simply recognize where we are, recognize our brokenness and our need for God. And this is where we start. And we say, God, forgive me. I want to change. Nothing might have happened. And just like that, we are received, forgiven, and changed. You see, Paul was saying in Romans that there's no difference wherever you're from. If you're Jew or Gentile, all of us have fallen short. This year, as you begin, whatever happened last year, rest assured, everyone has been broken and fallen short in some way this past year. All it requires is for us to turn our eyes into God and say, forgive me. Now, I know that's scandalous for some people who feel like they've been trying so hard and they've been doing so well, but Jesus has lots of parables about that. The fact is, we are all in some way, no matter how accomplished we think we are, we are in need of grace. We are all broken if we're really honest about it. And the first thing that God is asking us is to just simply be honest about it. To recognize, God, this is where I need you. Help me change. Because let me tell you, you can't change on your own. You need God's help. And here's the amazing thing. Again, not because of what we've done and not because we cleaned up our act, but we read about this in the next part in Romans chapter 8, verse 14 to 16 is that we are now received as ones in God's family. Romans 8, 14, 16 says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by God we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, some might look at the translation and wonder, like, well, what does this mean about your adoption to sonship? Uh, well, what if I'm a female or I don't identify with sonship? Um, I recognize this is kind of an older text, but if you look, actually, at this translation, the important thing to recognize is not about the gender of it, but the fact that sonship means inheritance. You are the inheritor. By your adoption, you are fully entitled to all the rights of being God's child. You see, it is through the Spirit of God that you are adopted and received unconditionally into the family of God. Now, what does this mean? That means that our family is filled with a lot of questionable people. If you look at Matthew chapter 1, 
It's a very boring chapter because it has a list of names that just goes on and on. But if you look through that, this is actually the family of Jesus throughout time. And here's the thing that you're going to find very interesting about this storyline, is that there's a lot of scandalous people in this family. And this whole chapter is setting up the fact that there's a lot of scandalous people in the, um, in the family of God. I can tell you right now that I am so glad to be Christian, but I'll tell you that there are many people who are Christian that I really disagree with, I have problems with. But we are all adopted into the family of God. We are all brought into that same family of grace. Why? It, because it's not about qualifications. It's not about um, merit in any sort of way. But it's because God forgave us and just said, you're in the family. Think about this. The Apostle Paul, before he was converted, was persecuting and killing Christians. But somehow in this amazing moment, a Christian comes up to Paul and says, Brother Saul. And he hasn't even done anything yet. Can you imagine how scary it must have been to think about, you have been my enemy. I am in total fear of you. And like we read about this, that he was scared to approach him. But God had reminded Ananias that He's one of the family now. What does that mean for us? That means you might feel like a bit of a mess. You might feel like you come to church and you don't belong. You might feel like right now you are totally not qualified to be called Christian. Perhaps this year has been completely demoralizing and discouraging to you. But God says to you, you're part of the family. Not by what you've done, but because of what God has done in Christ. And with this powerful message of being in God's family, we are now called to live a life of mercy as one given mercy. As one forgiven, you also have to live a life of forgiveness. Ephesians 4.32 says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This might be one of the hardest messages that you'll have to face this year, maybe every year, is that just as you're forgiven, you're called to forgive others. Just as Christ was kind and compassionate to you, you must be kind and compassionate to others. Because God completely, extravagantly gave you mercy, brought you right into the family before you did anything, and so that is what God is asking of us unto others. Sometimes this happens when we talk about outreach with the church, as we think about, well, let's give to the real deserving communities, the ones who really need our help, the ones who can really prove to us that they are worthy of the support that we give. And so sometimes we're very, you know, we try and use very Christian language about this, but we're saying like, well, let's just help the people that we really think, you know, um, are, uh, are worthy of what we have to give. But you see, if we do that, we're not living in the gospel anymore. Because the fact is, none of us are worthy to receive anything. But someone 
stepped out of themselves and gave generously, kindly, compassionately, and that was God. So that we could also step out of the vicious cycle of like, I'm not going to do anything unless someone does something for me. God broke this cycle of meritocracy, of qualifications, so that you can live a life of free love, giving generously to others. You see, God has freed us to live our lives as we were intended, following God. True conversion means you live out the change. The Holy Spirit wants to work in you and make you live for God. Romans 6, 4 says this, that we were therefore buried with God through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. God has freed us to live our lives for God. And that's what I'm going to talk about next week in Sanctifying Grace. You see, the thing about justifying grace that might be hard for people to understand is that nothing's really happened on our part. We are just received as we are. And that goes against anything that we've encountered in the world. It seems like if we were to receive anything of worth in this world, we have to do something to get it. The most powerful gift of all is offered to us, new life new life by forgiveness and you don't do anything but I do want to say and I'll talk about this next week is that this new life will change you if you really receive this new life you're gonna watch a change in your life happen and it's not going to be through your own power but through God working in your life and that's what sanctifying grace is about and we'll talk about that next week but as I wrap up this message I was thinking a lot as I was preparing for this one to talk about renewal, to talk about change and rebirth. Start of a new year, we want a new beginning. But the greatest renewal of all is to come face to face with God's grace. I don't know, maybe at the beginning of the message when I started talking, you were thinking about, okay, well, how's Pastor Sam going to tell me like, what I need to change and clean up with my life? You know what I really want to tell you at the beginning of the year is this, is that before any resolution, before you do anything, you are loved and forgiven. If there's anything that you could start the year with, is to realize that God's grace is enough, that you are enough, that God doesn't look at you and look at you as inadequate. God doesn't look at the things that you want to do this past year and is disappointed in you. God deeply loves you and treasures you. We read the famous verse that says, because God so loved the world, that's why the Father sent the Son. Because God so loves you. Not because you are so worthy, because you accomplished so much. JBC is not here today because we are such a good church. We are just here today because God so loved us. Recognize that God has been at work in your life before you even saw God. 
because God created you. God loves you. God is wanting to lead you to this point, maybe even right now, where you can just stop what you're doing and say, God, I receive your grace. I believe that you forgive. I believe you can change my life. It's with that kind of attitude and that kind of spirit that will change your life forever. The greatest way that we can begin this year is to go through the deepest change possible, a conversion of the heart, which is what the Bible says is repentance. As we begin this year, let's invite God to convert our hearts, to change us, to recognize that God's message for us is not destruction, but that you are loved and you are forgiven. I hope with all my heart that all of you and myself definitely can receive that this year, is that you are loved and you're forgiven in Christ. Amen.